Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You are listening to Missed Apex podcast. We live. F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanners, so let's be friends. Today we're doing a pretty standard news ticker, but something has changed. I can sense it. I can feel it in the air. The news feed for Formula One is bubbling warm, more than tepid, but not quite hot. The statements coming out from the teams are less about reflection and more about preparing for the 2024 campaign. And I think the thing that has changed is that the teams are starting to have an idea where they think they are, and everything they're saying is now in context of that. Are we in the Ferrari have really got a great package this year part of the off-season yet? No, we're a little bit off that yet. But what is clear is that the generals have gathered in their masses just like witches at black masses. All above our pay grade, of course, but we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. I'm joined by tech tire whisperer Matt Two Rumpets. We don't need no stinking rookies. Have you also matched me by doing a song lyric from a 90s rock anthem? Uh, apparently I have, yes. Sick. Rock anthems are tight. Uh, Chris Stevens joins us from the Formula E podcast. Hey, Spanners, you, your you know, reference there, your Black Sabbath reference, that made me want to do the what is this that stands before me? No, so you've, you've taken it from like rock to musicals. Now, can you see no, why what you've done is a, wrong? No, that was know, not a musical. It was another Sabbath song. Is it? Oh, how, how quickly my Black Sabbath uh, knowledge was exposed bare. Thanks for that. 
So now, for my next guest, I have to go all the way over to Holland, which you would think would be inconvenient, but it's not. It's barely an inconvenience at all. Hello, Jules. How's it going, Jules? Good evening, Spanners and everyone else. Uh, doing really fine and looking forward to being back on the pod again. Jules Sagers, of course. I nearly called you. Uh, you know, your surname just dipped out of my head for a second. And I nearly said, and here's Jules Holland, because you're, of course, from, <laughs> from Holland, our token uh, Dutch person. We found the only person in, in the whole of the Netherlands that doesn't sport Max Verstappen, but there is a Max Verstappen cap in your background. There is. There mm, is. For, for, why, why is that, really- Jules? Uh, I'm I'm currently seated in my son's bedroom. I see. Uh, yeah. So, uh, all the kids, all the young F1 fans in in the Netherlands, is it like nearly ubiquitous? They're all Max Verstappen fans. I think so. Yeah, mm. I would say so. I mean, it's he's when Verstappen came uh, came up the ranks. Uh, this whole new generation of kids started watching Formula One because a Dutch man is winning, and you know how it is with kids; it appeals mm. to them. So, yeah. Yeah, so in the UK, though, obviously we're a bit more spoilt for choice with, with drivers. I think a lot of the young kids, Chris, including you, you and your fellow uh, Gen Zs, are all kind of Lando Norris fans because he's the funky, cool, young British driver. I know you called me a Gen Z because we were talking about it before the show yes. and how I don't identify with, uh, with Gen Z very much. But anyway, I'm going to gloss over that um, because I am a sort of general Lando Norris uh, oh. fan, I think incredibly talented and is a you know a bit more of a character off the track than uh, a lot of a lot of other drivers uh, sort of a, a yeah a, a, an english equivalent to daniel ricardo i think yeah and i suppose a lot of the other guys were a bit more reserved and i think so when lando norris came onto the scene the lewis hamilton being funny had kind of gone away so when he tried to sort of he used to make jokes he used to make outlandish statements and then I think the press sort of wore him down a little bit and he became very, very PR focused. I think maybe you could look at when he went to Mercedes, you suddenly saw it was all about, uh, I just want to say thank you to the the factory. The crowd has been good. It was like this whole checklist. And they sort of, he's, he became very neutered in the press. And then Lando Norris came in and he was just doing improv. Him and Daniel Ricciardo could have been on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Uh, and it, you're right, well, he's kind of rubbed off uh from from daniel hasn't he when they were teammates <laughs> oh uh, yes i forgot they were teammates yeah, yeah exactly mm. but i don't know i i don't think the uh the the fact that you know a nation a nation is only interested in a sport when their country is doing well in it so much applies to the uk and f1 because i mm. think the uk has got such a, a a wide and diverse motorsport um history and um you know current activities going on that Formula One is always going to be big in the UK. I mean, it's always going to be bigger when Lewis Hamilton's going for the championship or he's yeah. involved in a fight, fight um, with, with someone. And I think when Lando Norris eventually starts fighting for a title, that's going to change as well. But, you know, I, Jules is right. The biggest one we've seen of it was in the Netherlands when Max Verstappen started yeah. uh, doing it. Well because suddenly there was the whole fanatic and they started going down there. They started arriving at you know, at, at Spa and at Red Bull Ring to go and support him as well. Well, this leads us on to you know, one of the topics I was going to cover. I think the first thing I, the team I want to talk about is is Visa Cash App today. So Alpha Towery. Uh, but there was a story from an individual called Graham Watson, who was being quoted everywhere. Now, I saw it on Planet F1, but it was also in Autosport and, and several other publications. Not one publication mentioned that he no longer works as Alpha Tauri's team manager. Um, 
but uh, the, the the statements were coming out were were quite divisive. Uh, they were quite toxic, to be honest. So it starts off fairly well with him saying very nice things about Max Verstappen, who's a driver in that same stable. And he made the comment, Jules, that Max Verstappen single-handedly saved Formula One. And I suppose in your part of the world, it, it might well feel like that. I don't know if Formula One needed saving, but I think um, what he what he meant was that when when you look at uh, the, the the further quotes that he that he uh, put out there, he was actually uh, drawing a comparison between uh, when Max Verstappen went to Red Bull with when uh, Michael Schumacher went from Benetton to Ferrari, mm. and and he claimed that when Schumacher made that move. Uh, Formula One became immensely popular in Germany. While after, and and then he referred to uh, scenes at Hockenheim. While actually, those scenes were already there when he was still driving a Benetton. Because I think there's this famous picture of of these German fans in in short jeans and uh, <laughs> yes. and wearing no shirts. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it it I think he's it's it's probably not not nice to say deluded, but I think he he got a bit a bit of the facts mixed up um so i'm i'm not sure if if max saved f1 but i i think we you should uh need to agree with with watson when he said that uh max uh stoppen max stoppen uh, or max for stepping um uh, uh he he um how do you say this he 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 brought with him this whole new generation uh, of Formula One fans and and a different breed of Formula mm. One fans and and you could argue if that breed is you know whether you like it or not but I think he he has a point there I, I, and and undoubtedly he has done that so I, I do wonder how how much the effect of now you can't get a cheap ticket for any F one race in Europe how much of that is specifically down to Max Verstappen, because they did always say, you know, Spa's a good one to go down to, Monza's a good one to go down to, there'll always be tickets, but the facilities aren't as good. Well, now it's a wave of, of orange and you can barely get in there. So I do wonder if that would have been, you know, different without Max Verstappen, because at the same time as that happened, we also got the flood of, of Americans and Drive to Survive viewers. And I think with all of these things, it's like, I don't care how you got into F1, which I think of as my own personal club. I literally, there's no gatekeeping as far as we're concerned. However you come in is fine. I think I'm less inclined to care if you're going to disappear when a particular driver goes. So although the, the Dutch revolution that came in with Max Verstappen, if Max Verstappen retires tomorrow and they're all still here, still loving F1, then like absolutely fair play, respect that, Jules. I, I do get the feeling that there's both with Verstappen and Hamilton a big chunk of their fan base is that when they retire, they'll never watch another Formula One race. Probably, very, very likely, especially uh, as as the Dutch uh, over here in Holland, we don't have a massive uh, autosport hi- history uh, like, for instance, uh, the English, and we don't have a lot of drivers in in F one. Uh, I think what what Watson may have referred to or wanted to refer to is the uh, the online community. Uh, that Max has brought into the sport. Like Max is an online gamer. He has a, an audience there. He connects with, with this generation of, of youngsters. And I think, I think he, he meant that, that type of, of fan uh, drawing them in, into the sport. Mm. And of course, those can be 
whatever supporters they can support lando mm. who is an online gamer as well etc that's really true sorry matt i know i know you've got a point burning there but uh that is true in that the lando norrises and and verstappen particularly have brought people on who will watch them on their streams when when you look at the covid times as well people like leclerc would also kind of jump on and joined in because it was happening but drivers like fernando alonso and Lewis Hamilton aren't sitting there on on Twitch being that ultra accessible kind of personality. Sorry, Matt, go on. No, in fact, they're not. But to me, it belies the very obvious point that you already brought up that really, if we're going to talk about who, quote unquote, saved F1, that's going to be drive to survive. Netflix, without doubt, without doubt. Yeah, yeah, that's very simple. But he does, I think, a nice job of contrasting Hamilton and Verstappen. But the fact of the matter, from my point of view, is I think the sport is better off with the both of them in it. This is the point that that seems to be missed, that he either didn't make the way he wanted to make or just completely got wrong. The sport needs a Max Verstappen and it needs a Lewis Hamilton to be interesting to people. And they each bring their own unique fan base to it. But I got to say, as an American, one of the things that, that, that this really brought out to me, and I'm going to contrast it to IndyCar, is that there is still a very nation-specific up and down in the audience for F1, especially in Europe. Like, if you come to IndyCar and you're from Mexico, you're from Brazil, if you're good, you'll wind up with American fans. Now, granted, it's not a global sport. But it still seems to me there's a lot of what national specific pride supporting drivers in Formula One. So our patron live chat is is saying that in America, actually, Verstappen and Hamilton are both behind Perez when it comes to popularity. I'd, I'd love to see a poll on that because I know Perez is massively, massively popular. Um, but I think I think what Watson is sort of missing is, is yes, of course, there's a Verstappen effect, uh, particularly in Europe. But Matt, as early as the very first Drive to Survive season, do you remember the first season when it came out in the winter and we yeah. saw the, the statistics on our end and we went, oh my goodness, there's, there's people from America tuning in. So it was way before all the 2021 type controversy. When was the first Drive to Survive? 2018, I think. And so like 2019, we were suddenly like, oh wow, America are going to be interested. So it's interesting to kind of to, to note that, yeah, they might not have got behind Logan Sargent, but they look to have yet. got behind yet. <laughs> well, actually, we're going to talk about rookies a bit, bit later yeah. on. Uh, yeah. So uh, however you come into F1, I don't mind as long as you commit to being into F1 for life, regardless of, of who's driving. I think that's fair, Chris. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I'd say, well, Fernando Alonso isn't on the Twitch and the gamings or anything. He is a TikTok sensation. So we can check him in that box. Uh, <laughs> he does seem well. very game on the Aston Martin TikTok. Yes, absolutely. But the the difference between Max and Lewis that Watson kind of also addresses as well is that when Max is not at a Grand Prix, he's on iRacing or he's you know karting. He's doing something motorsport related. He's out there testing GT3 cars in the winter as well, setting up his own GT3 race team. And I can totally see him in the not too distant future tackling Le Mans and Daytona and all these other you know big sports car racing events, or maybe even like the Indy 500 or something like that. Whereas Lewis's you know off track activities all concern very different things. It's it's music, it's clothing, and working on his brand and 
the well, in fact, that's the word that Watson uses. Yeah. Well, there's a brand, and I don't necessarily think there's anything uh, okay. wrong with that at all. In fact, yeah. I think it's great that Lewis Hamilton uses his his platform and his following to uh, to, to to do certain things, and also to try and make the world a better place with his various different uh, programs that he runs and raises awareness. For no, of- it's only okay when Vettel does it with bees. Shut up. <laughs> Uh, but this is this is where Watson lost me, Matt. Because, and I'm, I'm glad he's not with Alpha okay. Tower anymore. Because I just I, when all these statements came out, I went, "Wow, an active Alpha Tower uh, member is, is is saying all this stuff." Like, say that your guy's brilliant, because he is. Say that he's a motorsport nerd. That's the correct description of Max Verstappen, as as uh, Chris has, has detailed. And yeah, seeing him, his dedication to the sim, his dedication to the whole arc of motorsport, and 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 being supportive and validating sim racing, which I think is a a genuine, real skill set and sport, has all been absolutely fantastic. What where he lost me, Matt, is when he then turned around and says, "Is Lewis Hamilton an F one driver?" Like, what a ridiculous statement that was. Is he an F one driver? Verstappen's an F one driver. Lewis Hamilton's just a brand, and that's where he lost me. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I see your point, and 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 especially as someone who's a Hamilton supporter, it 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 is irksome to see him relegated that way. But the fact of the matter is, if Max goes on to win another two championships, he's going to be a brand too. Like this is there in That's different places yep. in their career arc, and I, I'm kind of on Chris's side here. I didn't really see that as an insult. So much is him just contrasting what the two drivers are currently wait, wait, bringing Matt, to the sport. I'd be with you if it wasn't for the is Hamilton an F1 driver. That's to me, that's what made it uh, a little vitriolic and weird. Because like, he's obviously an F1 driver. That's so dumb. Petition for the first thing to come up when you Google Lewis Hamilton to be video game actor who uh, made a cameo <laughs> appearance in that Call of Duty game. Yeah, one Fortnite. Time. Fortnite. By, by the way, he... Uh, won seven f1 world titles as well mm. i i honestly i love all this chat uh, around fandom because there's such a, a variation in what people are, are here for and who people support and i think like if you see a change at all at the top so like verstappen's dominating now we could very very well get into a situation where it's a competitive season next season i know people have written it off i think it's wrong to write it off but like you watch those bubbling fan bases because if ferrari even have a sniff of race wins the the signs and Leclerc fan bases are at each other's throats. And that's great because I'm not involved in that one. So obviously as a Hamilton fan, I'm right in the middle of all the, oh yeah, with Verstappen versus Hamilton. But with the Leclerc signs battle, I can just sit there eating popcorn and enjoy it. But that does uh, all of that. Uh, we should talk about Visa Cash App F1 team more seriously. So obviously the news of their team name came on the back of McLaren, who have announced that they're calling themselves Cisco Arrows, Dell, McLaren, F1, DP World, OKX, FX, a pro mill Google BAR racing F1 team for the 2024 season. So that does make Visa Cash App quite sensible by comparison, Matt. Well, uh, this sent me into a tailspin because it, you just, it encapsulates, I mean, while both what's absolutely necessary for teams and what's absolutely tragic. So I actually went and looked up some old names from the past that I thought were better. Would you like to hear a few of them? I would love to hear them. Arrows. Arrows. Grab them. Arrows is a great name yeah. for a Formula One team. But that wasn't a now, sponsor no, name. No, though, no, 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 I'm not saying they were good teams racing. <laughs> I'm just saying the names are good. Wow, hang on. Arrows must have been a cup. Chris, you're the history person. What was Arrows? Was that a company? 
I don't actually know much about uh, arrows. So arrows was that all I know about arrows was that Damon Hill won the championship, got dumped by Williams, went to arrows, and nearly won the Hungarian Grand Prix. Well, I will tell you is that um, uh, Benetton is a clothing brand. Yep. Uh, but I mean, we had Tyrrell, we had Wolf, we had Spiker, we had Martini, Ligier. Yeah. Oh, so many BAR, De Tommaso, Eagle, Dan Gurney. Gotta love that. Well, they could have an Eagle, but instead they got Visa Cash App, insertname.com, <laughs> RB. So hang on a minute. So why are we getting so upset about Visa Cash App and Stake F1 when we very clearly had all these brand names in F1 as team names before? The thing is, right, what are we actually going to call it? Because Visa Cash App. First, no, first of all, is is not actually like the name yet. It hasn't been announced. Yeah. It was just, somebody changed an Instagram handle, and suddenly it's a talking point, uh, and it hasn't Intern. actually been announced. And as far as as far as I'm aware, the deal hasn't even been signed yet. So somebody's jumped the gun on that front. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, but it is like the steak thing. I'm not going to call them steak. I'm going to call them Salber at some point, just for for convenience, especially if they're going to have to change the team name at four or five Grand Prix during the year because of uh, yeah, gambling. Connections, right. So the, but Visa cash app, I can't, I can't get on board with that. They're just going to be, if it does have the racing bulls thing at the end of it or whatever, the, then racing the, call it now. It's going to be that. Cause as far as I'm concerned, you know, uh, title sponsors are not team names. There we go. Although I'm going to go, I have a theory. Tell me what you think of this, Chris. I think as the world has gotten quote unquote smaller and corporations try to get more and more people to buy their thing, there's been a move towards having names that are completely meaningless in any way, shape or form so that no one can be offended by them. So that when teams do adopt them, there's, there's no substance behind it. Like Martini, I know what that's about. Minority, Shadow, Wolf. You know, like, that's a name that has a point of view. These names are all calculated to offend as few people as possible. Therefore, they become almost meaningless when you're talking about a team of people with a real goal in mind. Yeah. The, only, the, the, um, the, team, the teams are tell, will tell you what they want to be known as. Stake F1 have said our team name is Stake F1. That, that is the team. They're Stake F1. Except in Qatar and in Belgium <laughs> and in, oh, the team's home country except, of Switzerland. Except anyway. where your own name is illegal and yeah. you knew it would be in advance. Amazing. Think, Just amazing. So I've, I've, sit, I've sat here and I've said, oh, I'm not going to call these things these sponsor names. But, you know, you know me, I'm a big fan of sports car racing and I think of Richard Mill Racing mm. in LMP2. I think of CrowdStrike Racing in LMP2. Uh, as well and suddenly think ah well actually you know it does happen quite a fair uh, bit Uh, would you like to know where some of today's current team names have been in the past chris go on well uh since we're talking about them most recently shall we start with the current but soon no longer to be alfa romeo before that they were sauber before that they were bmw sauber and then before that they were sauber again were they Red Bull Sauber at some point as well? Uh, I didn't have that on my list of things that I looked up on the internet. No, but perhaps sponsors. Let's go. Alfred. Let's go on to something a little bit less um, arbitrary. Because at the end of the day, I mean, Mercedes is just advertising its Mercedes cars, isn't it? 
Mercedes Petronas and their oil. You know, Ferraris there to sell Ferraris. Yeah, but that's the, like an actual automotive brand. Red you know, thing okay. with Red, a substance yeah. to it. Red Bull. Well, yeah. yeah. That's Again, a thing. Comes in a can. I know what it is. Visa Cash Out. It has a point of view. I'm a bull and I'm red. Yeah. Well, Visa Cash Out. It's an easy way to transfer your money conveniently and safely. Use the offer code MIST Visa Cash App Racing Bulls for more. Okay, that's not real. It's not real. No one, no one try and Google that. Uh, let's go on to something a bit more serious, which is um, Alpha Tauri's uh, boss, Peter Bowyer. I don't know his position, but he seems to speak with some authority uh, around that. Is saying that the Fayenza outfit can no longer focus on preparing rookies as it relaunches under a new name in 2024. So Sign says, and honestly, in the meantime, uh, Fran, Franz always said, in, in, uh, young drivers need three years to be sort of ready for F1. I hate that. Uh, that's something that, okay, that's something, about one person agrees with you. Stop dancing. Jeez. All right. Uh, uh, Jules, Alpha Tauri is the school of, of Red Bull future drivers. It, I mean, why are they even resisting it? It's obviously that's the main reason they were there in the first place. I took it as the, the new investors. Uh, so presumably Visa Cash App, uh, they want results. They don't want to pump money into a team that's not allowed to develop in such a way that it could fight for points that would then be taken from Red Bull's uh, performances. So I understood it as um, the, the new investors uh, demanding they try to be the best team they can be instead of trying to be a kindergarten for Anyone mm. Helmut Marko wants to see in a Formula One car for a while. So this is really part of a larger larger story that goes back to the death of Dietrich Mateschitz, in, in my opinion, uh, when ownership became more corporate and a decision had to be made because they had been running Alpha Tauri literally as the finishing school for their favored junior drivers or someone else that they could pick out of somebody else's academy. And that was fine. But now Alpha Tauri soon to be whatever it's going to be, but we think Visa Cash App Visa Cash is App. going to have to leave the bedroom, go to college, and learn how to live on its own a little bit more. And I think this is just the tail end of this plan that was put into place to make them more profitable. Yeah, but then they they shouldn't have a connection to Red Bull then, should they? If when when the two teams were there and one served a purpose to the other, you could kind of justify the fact that Red Bull owned both teams. They said, look, we've got so many young drivers in the junior formula, and instead of, you know, we can't just plonk them straight into a world championship winning team. We need that finishing school, as you mentioned. And, you know, they've had Sebastian Vettel, Daniel Ricciardo, Max Verstappen come up through that rank. Mm. Uh, so it clearly works, right? And uh, and and it's it's great because it, it allows you know those those junior drivers to get up into the uh, in, into Formula One. It gives them a few years of experience before going to fight for world championships. But then, and, and I know this is another topic we have, but they're kind of intrinsically linked as well. The fact that other teams are now starting to question the relationship between the two Red Bull teams and how it can be used to benefit the main team. 
that that then becomes a problem if if one is is being being pushed more corporately now and they're saying look this is not a junior team anymore mm. this is a team standing on its own two feet and the thing is they have been competitive in the past in terms of the midfield but you can't have the b team beating the a team it will never happen so we we, we talk kind of coyly about this relationship between the two teams and i always find that a little bit disingenuous so i don't think you can argue in good faith that there's a a close relationship between alpha towery and red bull it's the same it's the same team it's completely one organisation. I'm not, I'm not having it, Chris. I'm absolutely not having that there's any discernible delineation between AlphaTauri and Red Bull. If Red Bull says jump, AlphaTauri says how high. They are the same organisation. One team owns four cars on the grid. It, yes, that is a fact. And a Grand Prix and about a third of the grid as well. <laughs> but the the kind of key difference, it's not like you are in your Red Bull uniform one weekend and then in your AlphaTauri uniform the next. The AlphaTauri team does, in a sense, operate in its own right, whether that is with information provided with, you know, from, from another, the other team as well, and whether they swap information back and forth as well. Because I'm sure that somebody at AlphaTauri in the aero department has gone, oh, we should do this. And then maybe that's been passed up the chain of command as well, and you know potentially gone to uh, the, the various different sides of the organisation uh, as well. But you know, in a sense that yes, they take Red Bull parts, the suspension, the gearbox, the the, the crash structure, etc., which are the parts that you can get off other teams because has to it with you know Ferrari and Williams and Aston Martin take Mercedes gearboxes as well, but the rest of it has to be you know independent. With the you know their own um, uh, what's it IP yeah, intellectual it's, property intellectual property yeah. that's what I'm on about yeah so in 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 that sense they are an independent team um I'm a bit more skeptical than Chris I'm afraid I was um, trying to put it lightly <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but listen I'm uh, the team AlphaTauri or whatever it's going to be called are moving operations from their original base the, that was Minardi back in the days to Milton Keynes, they are going to be sharing uh, a part of their factory. They are co-developing the Ford uh, power unit that is going to be in both cars from 26 on. Red Bull and and uh, uh, Toro Rosso, as it was called back then, the first years, they ran identical designs of cars. It was like the the Ligier in in the Benetton Briatore days. They were they were just identical designs, and it was the case with uh, with um, uh, Toro Rosso as well. So there have been signs all over the over the years where where they are more than than just you know uh, oh coincidentally owned by the same same people. In fact, um, before Red Bull turned to the Honda power unit. They had it r- run in uh, the AlphaTauri for a whole season before that, just you know, as a test mule for <laughs> complete for co- that, that power how, unit. How dare you? That was a complete coincidence that Toro Rosso decided to try the Honda power unit, and, and then and then Red Bull did as well. But I, I'm more on Jules' side of things, to be honest, Matt. Well, and here's, I mean, the crux of it is that the corporate ownership of both teams is the same. And this is, um, it's sort of, we had an interesting dance between Mercedes and McLaren over this topic 
But for Zach Brown, this corporate ownership, the fact that the same company owns two different teams on the grid is a huge problem. It's a giant red flag. There are too many ways for information to filter back and forth outside of the ever watchful eye of the FIA. Okay, so there are some parts and I'd I'd like to ask you about them because it's been a long time since um, we've talked about listed parts in general. But when it comes to aero, there's obviously limited wind tunnel time that's very clearly mandated and you get less if you did well. There's a bit of a success ballast. So Red Bull will get less this season. Mercedes a little bit less uh, going all the way down the grid. And you go, okay, well, if their aero philosophies start to uh, converge, then that's a bit of a red flag. So what happens is, okay, they can have the rear suspension, but what if we get to a point where... Alpha Tauri or Visa Cash App suddenly turn up and they've got a very similar aero concept to the team that they share wind tunnel time and wind tunnel facilities and factories with and share a lot of staff with. At what point, you know, it does does that become a problem? Because surely they're two completely different aero uh, uh, development plans with two completely different aero t- tunnel times. They should come up um, come up with a, a quite a different you know, concept, shouldn't they? At what, uh, at what point do you go, hang on a minute, <laughs> are you two? Because you could always, you could go, right, Red Bull, you work on the front wing. Uh, Visa Cash App, you work on the rear wing. I'll meet you in the canteen, but we're only talking about golf. Yeah, I think the concern here, because let's face it, there is and there continues to be and there will be convergence in this stable set of aerodynamic regulations. And we will see this from Ferrari, from Mercedes, from every other team that is looking at Red Bull and how they've been the most successful. So we've already seen a lot of aerodynamic parts copied, but they're pretty specific rules about the copying. And you more or less have to be able to prove that even if you saw it on another car, you drew it and tested it yourself. I think the concern that Brown has is that the Alpha Tower will essentially be used to go try more extreme parts parts with perhaps a lower probability of success that Red Bull will then add once they see how they do in the real world to kind of circumvent the sort of testing restrictions that that all the teams do have to live with. And his concern, again, goes to that corporate ownership of both teams. And in fact, I just want to bring up before we move on, we we saw Aston get absolutely nailed for this, for stealing. Mm. Okay copying illegally the brake ducts from the Mercedes when it was, were they the green Mercedes or the pink Mercedes? I can't remember which one it was, but, but you, you understand, you remember where I'm coming from. They will, if they see this, they might well prosecute it, but it's going to be after the fact. So two comments here. One Connor saying, isn't that how it usually goes? You get convergence towards the, the best team. Absolutely. So the fact that we're a couple of years in to a regulation set sort of ruins the point I'm making, but okay. You could say hypothetically then, Let's get to 2026. If they were to then both come out with coincidentally very similar aero concepts in what is a new regulation set, you would kind of go, hmm. Now, uh, Weitzer in the live chat, well, you better start getting proof and making more substantial case than I think they might do something shady. Uh, To be honest, I, I, I think the whole setup warrants some scrutiny. So I think it's perfectly fine to talk about what is possible in this this unprecedented realm of a team out and out owning four cars 
And when they were in different countries, I think, you know, maybe that's a, a slightly different thing. But when you just say, right, actually, that B team is now moving right next to us, sharing all our facilities, that, that does deserve some scrutiny. That absolutely warrants scrutiny. Scrutiny. I've said scrutiny too much. Scrutiny. Well, th- there's going to be an AlphaTauri division in, in Bista. They're not moving the whole team next door to Milton Keynes, right? Um, but yeah, you, you're right in saying that the, you know, the issue with just looking at the aero concepts is that, I mean, halfway through the first year of this uh, reg set, suddenly Haas came out with the, uh, the, the very curvy, inward-shaped side pods that Ferrari had been running since the start of the season. And the problem is, is that, especially when you're looking at like the back end of some cars, because they've got to shape over you know, the same engine, for example, sure. they're going to end up yeah. with a similar aero philosophy on that front. Yeah, uh, Matt, address the oh, the Aston Martin comment that's in the chat as well. Because um, what's the difference between uh, what we're talking about and then Aston Martin just copying bits of Mercedes? Uh, well, it, it looked at in the Aston filter, this would be AlphaTauri showing up with basically an exact copy of a Red Bull and finishing third and fourth to their first and second in every race. Let's say. And that's what Aston was trying to do uh, with the Mercedes. But I think what Zach Brown is concerned about is more what happened with the Haas-Ferrari hookup before Haas joined the grid, which is a bunch of Ferrari engineers went to Haas, tested a whole bunch of parts in a wind tunnel, then immediately went back to Ferrari and used all that knowledge in making their new car. Mm. What they're concerned about is that AlphaTauri will be trying concepts that, if successful, will wind up on the Red Bull and essentially grant them extra testing time. And his point is, again, because they're owned by the same team, the current rules, which uh, every team owned by a different company, may not be sufficient to prevent that leakage of information, that flow back and forth. And just to follow up with a footnote to Chris, it's the vehicle dynamics, I think, that are moving to Bester. So it is not unprecedented or a conspiracy theory to say that a big boy team has used the junior team to try things out, and then if successful, it goes on the junior on the senior team. I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. That has absolutely a hundred percent happened. I've got my theory with Mercedes engines, but I'm trying not to get sued. Uh, Red Bull have absolutely done that with AlphaTauri in the past, but it's it's particularly an issue in this cost cap era uh, at the moment. And I don't think it's ever a defense for something to say, well, yeah, what about when the other team did a bad thing? So if there's bad things happening, you can address the bad things or allow all the bad things. Jules. And I couldn't even think of any other real motive for Red Bull to have that sister team as it's not wearing its name anymore. It's not wearing the sister company clothing brand that nobody buys anymore. The name will, will not even be on the car or in the, in the team name. So why else would you fund and, and um, uh, how do you say this? Um, enable this team if it's not for your own gains. I, I, I can't see any other reason than just to have it as your as your test team, your, as I said, your mule. Well, it, it's going to get down to, I believe, um, how seriously the FIA is going to take uh, Brown's concerns. And you'll notice McLaren on the cusp of trying to make that step forward is by far being the most vocal about this 
uh, when they when James Allison talked about it, he was like, oh, well, but we have rules to prevent that. So I don't see how it could be a problem. I mean, it's just it seems astonishingly naive to me. But then I'm a New Yorker. So, you know, I'm used to people trying to sell me bridges. I would be concerned about it. I would like to see some new rules promulgated from the FIA and or some better, some better, more sufficient checks to satisfy the concerns that Brown has, because I think they're legitimate. It's always been easy enough to get a specific piece of information from one team to another team if you wanted to do it. But the same ownership just offers you so many more channels that are that much more difficult to scrutinize that I think it is a valid and rational concern. Scrutiny. And by the way, uh, it was Weitzer, whose comment I, I mentioned earlier, did say um, that, uh, that it is worthy of scrutiny. I misread that slightly. Uh, but that, and I think it's fair to say that, you know, you can't make specific accusations without proof. And I, and I don't mean to, to do that, but I think it's perfectly reasonable for Zach Brown to raise an eyebrow and go, okay, shared, shared facility, same ownership. You've, you've essentially got one corporate entity in one facility with double the wind tunnel time. So we can use the rule of charity and go, everyone there will be dead straight down the board. No one will say anything. No one will move teams mid-season. No gardening leave will be, uh, you know, foregone or, or whatever. And there'll be no loopholes to get around that. So we're acting on good faith, I think, because that feels like it would be impossible to police. All right, uh, move on. We've spent a lot of time there with uh, Alpha Towery, I think, Matt. Uh, yeah, we have. Do you want to talk more about the challenges of rookies or do you want to move on to something else? Uh, do you know what? The only thing that lingers for me out of all of this is what is a... Do they still have listed parts as the parts that you must make by yourself? Uh, yeah, they do. Okay, do you, do you have perfect recall of that list? Uh, no, I don't, oh, okay. but it's going to be pretty much everything that's not going to be uh, a gearbox, uh, suspension parts, and uh, power unit, stuff like that. You can buy uh, wiring looms. A lot of them are third-party too, brake discs, stuff like that. But I think all of your aero parts, mm, brake ducts, things like that, those you have to design entirely on your own, along with the chassis itself, of course. Cool. Then that's that covered for me. I'm going to press the button. There'll be graphics and a music thing. And, oh, it's very pro. It's all good, this. Toto Wolf has extended his own contract. I know this was earlier in the week, but I don't think we've had a chance to discuss this. Uh, this is extraordinary for me, Jules. And I think, I know you're Dutch. I don't want to get you into any trouble, but you're a Lewis Hamilton fan as well. I don't mind him. Yep. You don't? <laughs> I don't mind him. He's okay. He's quite cool. Um, the quote that got me was, I'm staying at Mercedes to beat Red Bull with Lewis Hamilton. And whilst, yeah, yeah. as Lewis Hamilton fans, you go, hey, good. Well, there's some unfinished business. What, what is it like if you're George Russell hearing that? Uh, it, I, I wouldn't be happy if I was George uh, spending my winter, uh, mm. my winter holiday and reading that. Um, and, and you know how it goes in, in the F1 world. Nothing is said without any meaning, of course. So um, it's, it's for me, uh, one, it's clear that uh, Wolf as Hamilton still feel that Abu Dhabi 21 is still something they need to, uh, need to settle and um, they want to do together. And uh, your question is, what does it say about George? Um, I, I think First of all, it says that they, they still believe that Hamilton has got it and that he that he's not, as some people think, oh, he's, he's aging and he's losing his edge, etc. 
But for George, um, I was thinking, is is this maybe uh, because of George? Maybe over. I, I don't know if this is if, if this is an English thing, but if you overplay your hand, um, if you have, I wondered maybe, that. I wondered yeah. that. <laughs> oh, no, I really did. I, I think this is a yeah. really, really key point, Jules, because you know you heard him on the radio, and yes, exactly. he definitely wasn't playing patient junior. Was he? He was. He was very forthright in his assertions. You know, what are we doing here? In was it in Suzuka? Are we fighting each other, or are we are we playing a team game? So you have to wonder if the perception a lot of us got as fans, which was that perhaps he was damaging his status in the team with some of those team messages. You know, maybe we're not you know completely wrong because it did feel very awkward at times. Yeah, it, it felt like he was in the, in the latter stages of the season that he was more occupied uh, profiling himself, himself within that team, positioning himself and and trying to 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 guard his position rather than playing the team game. Mm. And I, I I can imagine that that that's um, that doesn't go down well with 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 someone like Toto who and as as George knows too. Um, uh, Toto knows Hamilton put in so much effort, especially in 2022, in trying to make something out of that dog of a car. <laughs> and so I, I think George may have mistaken how much credits um, uh, and love, if I uh, may, uh, may say Kudos, that. standing, standing, not love, standing. Yeah. yeah. Within that team and with Toto, uh, uh, Lewis has. Uh, so to me, this is interesting. And without denigrating George Russell in the slightest. I, I think if I were at Mercedes, my general take would be, uh, yeah, not there yet. Not going to say he's not talented, not going to say he's not capable. But if you look at the timeline, if we're talking about having a minimum of three years just to know if the time and money you've invested in a rookie has been worth it, well, then becoming the driver who can win you world championship after world championship is going to be a longer period of time, especially when we consider adjusting to a new team. So I think without meaning to, uh, Toto spoke a little more truth and was slightly less diplomatic than if you gave him a do-over. He probably would have been a little more careful about how he said what he said. But I don't see it as an insult to Russell. I just see it as a reflection of the reality on the ground at Mercedes at this very second. But everyone knows that I favor, you know, my daughter V over over my son Oggy. But you don't you don't, you don't just blurt it out over exactly over Sunday dinner. Yes, I'm going to be more invested in her education because she's more talented. But you know, you just you quite you try and keep a lid on that. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, do you, do you think he's just spoken a little bit out of, out of turn, Chris? Because maybe internally they didn't quite put it as harshly as that. But externally, I think everyone's jaws dropped at that comment, haven't they? Because they're expecting Mercedes to do what they have done on paper, which is obviously Bosberg equal shout, Bottas equal shout on paper, at least at first. And everyone assumed Russell would get that same kind of equal status straight away. Yeah. No, in, internally, it's it's not been put forward to put across what some people have said it, it puts across. It is just a sort of direct reaction to the 2021 mm. season. And obviously, George wasn't part of the team then so that to me it it says more about that season and the race that shall not be named just so that we don't get a flurry of comments about Abu Dhabi 2021 where Lewis Hamilton was absolutely disgustingly robbed through no fault of Max Verstappen's uh, uh, doing and that is a scar that needs to be corrected come on Lewis but I'm neutral sorry Chris I interrupted you involuntarily I have to do that every time you mention Abu Dhabi 2021 yeah that one uh, yeah, no, it's, it's just a, a direct reaction to to that because mm-hmm. Toto and Lewis were the ones who were who feel they were robbed in that uh, situation. Then they want to be the ones together. Okay, to- but have they told George Russell this? That's the thing. Have they told him? Because last season, Jules is absolutely correct. Everything George Russell did, he would. I think I genuinely think he would rather have finished fifth and sixth, but ahead of Lewis than fourth and and you know finishing high up the grid wasn't as important as beating Hamilton so if they want to if that is Toto Wolff's stated aim to win a championship with Lewis Hamilton then they do have to tell George Russell at some point that no it's not about you no you can't do the sneaky strategy to get ahead with track position but worse tires and then we're going to order Hamilton to not overtake you so you know have they communicated that to George Russell I, I genuinely I genuinely don't know but if you're if you're Camp Russell, you've seen the whole day's worth of news cycle with this. I want to beat Red Bull with Lewis Hamilton quote, and that that's gotta hurt. So it's going to be really interesting to see George Russell's reaction out of the blocks. And actually, I'm surprised like no one's asked him it yet. Or is there going to be you know uh, the launch questions? When's the first press conference where someone's going to say, "Does this mean you're a number two driver?" Oh, Valentine's Day. Because that's oh. when Mercedes are launching the car. R.I.P. to the guys who've got to work that one. Yeah. Sorry, darling. We know we shan't be going out tonight. I've got to launch an F1 car. Why have they done that? You can't. Thing is, right? There's so much pressure on family calendars, and every family values those dates very differently. So for us, uh, Mother's Day would get, for example, more than Valentine's Day. So if it was on Mother's Day, I'd be a bit more like, oh, really? Can I? Can I? Can I not? Can I take the day off? Valentine's Day doesn't matter to me, but a lot of people will be getting in trouble for having to work Valentine's Day. I'll tell you why. Because if you take 14, right, and you and you add the the year of the number one mechanic's um, cousin's uh, sister's neighbor to uh, that, the, the, the age they were, they, they turned in 2014, you get, <laughs> right. hashtag, <laughs> you get hashtag 44. 
Right. I was trying to follow that for a bit and then I realised I should give up. Uh, Matt, James Allison also being uh, extended. Now, the interesting thing for me here is if you're going to go into the season and then you're handing a contract extension out, a three-year contract extension out to your technical director, you must be fairly happy with what he's done over the winter. Well, you'd be fairly happy. And you'd also be noting that the pair of them have extended through the first season of the new set of regulations which might tell you something. But I I do want to just point out, I don't think the internal rules between the drivers at Mercedes are going to change in the slightest. They will officially never call Russell a number two driver. But the facts on the ground have been what has determined that up until now. And nobody at Mercedes really thinks that's going to change this season. That said, I think it's even bigger because you had Toto Wolff in his interview not just talking about this, which has grabbed everyone's attention, but he, he said the following. He said, we're even going to be looking at pit stops and stuff like that. I think finally, I think they have finally come to grips with the fact that they have fallen behind in a lot of ways. The scales are finally falling from their eyes. They've had their come to you know what moment, and they are going to start turning the ship around. Hang on a minute. Did he actually say even going to be looking at these things, implying yeah. that they never looked at that stuff yes. at all? No, and, and that's what you no. would take from it. Yeah. No. All so of there... our problems are down to the car. Every single one. There's not a single thing to improve in this team other than the car. That Did... is a terrible, terrible attitude to have. Did frankly. you miss the admission a few months back where they said, "Yeah, we know our pit stops are slow. We just prefer to have slower but more successful ones." And put and I went, what? That thing that's been holding you back from race strategy for years has been on purpose. The thing is, that is that's an approach, right? Because you know, let's say Red Bull go for the one point nine second stop every time, and it ends up being two point two ninety percent of the time, and then ten percent of the time they get a six second stop because something goes wrong, and and you know, Mercedes will say, well on average, our three-second stop will be more successful over the course of a season. That is an, that's an approach to take, and it's mm. kind of you know, well, I, an endurance racing style of, of, of going about racing. I bet if you added up all of Max Verstappen's pit stops, uh, not Perez, they don't seem to care, but if you added up all of his pit stops and all of Hamilton's pit stops, they're going to win over the season, Red Bull. Well, Max probably made fewer of them. Uh, yeah, he's, better, he's better at stopping in his marks, isn't he? Because he's better at everything. Yeah. Um, but no, the, the, for me, the key thing about this James Allison, it's not just a contract extension. It's a return to the Formula One team. Because even though he's technically been contracted with Mercedes, he's been off doing some Ineos project for the last couple of years. Oh, it's- Interestingly enough, he left aside the Formula One team. Mercedes went for zero pod. It was an absolute disaster. And I'm not saying that a Formula One team's technical department revolves around one person. Adrian Newey is not solely responsible for the success of Red Bull over many, many years. And James Allison is not solely responsible for Mercedes' successes. And him leaving is not solely responsible for them falling flat on their faces in the start of this ground effect era. But him coming back to the table in the middle of last year and then immediately saying, ditch zero side pod. Let's do something else. Is it this now is... putting his full effort into the uh, the twenty four car? I feel like this is a step in the right direction. 
I think Toto Wolf walked into the wind tunnel and he said, are those what I think they are? He's like, yes, Toto, there's two of them. These are side pods. And he collapsed on his knees going, side pods, I've missed you. I never thought I would see you again. And he said, here's a contract. You fill in the bit that says how much money we give you. Let's go. The reality is the side pods cost him two tenths a lap. They added them to the car. Incorrect. The the lack of side pods is all... James Allison said that. I will yell over you. The lack of side pods was everything. If they turn up with side pods, they're going to win. That's it. (laughs) He said it cost him two tenths a lap. That's what James Allison from Mercedes said. You're welcome to to believe in your... You're you're welcome to believe that. They needed the side pods to make other changes. James Allison is a genius, but a filthy liar because the secret to success is those side pods. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think if, if that was causing them to make compromises in a lot of other areas as well... No, Chris. What's Chris gesticulating oh, yeah. about? Oh, yeah, because Matt just said like they needed the side pods to make more improvements. And there you go. Just, so it was costing they, them. They went as far as they possibly could with mm. zero pod. It was never going to get any faster. So yes, while initially they slapped them on there and at first went two tenths slower, the, in the grand scheme of things, they're going to be able to shave a second off of that car. That's enough to win. They're going to win. So Chris Stevens says they're going to win. Do you, uh, yeah, go on. Mm. <laughs> just put that on me. It was really a bad ride height decision that mostly compromised them in terms of their vehicle design. Yeah, no, go on. No, you you say things about that because that I found that fascinating. But James Allison basically said they went conservative on the ride yeah. height. And I, again, I went, really? That feels a bit... Like, did they think they had that much in hand that they could do that? Um, well, they didn't know. They They were encouraged by the Brazil showing. So they felt they were worried about the bouncing. The thing that got them the most was the bouncing. And they essentially, and this is interesting because this is a problem where all the problems started fundamentally was they can't, they don't seem to be able to model as well the effect of ride height with these crown effect cars as other teams. And so to avoid a bouncing problem and put them in a positive window for, for a setup, they, they went very conservative with their ride height. But then it turned out nobody else did, and nobody else had that problem. So when they tried to go back down to that ride height, they fundamentally didn't have the correct car to ride it at its lowest ride height. And it's a thing they weren't going to be able to fix until this season, plus some of the other problems from the zero pods. And you know how these things are all connected, the arrow handshake, you know, do your summers, go ahead, you know you want to. No, so it sounds like they've got it all sorted. Good. Okay. I mean, I don't mind as long as everyone has fun. All right, we've got a couple more topics lined up for today, and we have time for them. And we are yet to do a meet the panel with Jules Sagers as well. So we're going to get personal and find out about Jules's love of windmills and daffodils and clogs. But not now, not yet. <laughs> uh, so where do you want to go, Matt? So uh, Aston Martin we want to talk about, but we got quite a lot of feedback from... The, the McLaren kind of versus Mercedes uh, debate. So we were talking about who, who might do better. I ran a poll on Twitter. Who do you think will be ahead by the summer, Mercedes or, or McLaren? And what was clear was, whilst most people think that Mercedes will be ahead of McLaren, McLaren fans really, really have their hopes up, like to, to a much bigger extent than, than I realised, uh, to the extent that a lot of McLaren fans think that kind of P2 is in the bag. So I don't really want to rehash what we were talking about, you know, yesterday, but I was just surprised about the strength of of feeling. I think the McLaren fan base has been like a, uh, what do you call it? A paper tiger 
a sleeping dragon, uh, a hibernating bear, and now they've got a sniff of success. The claws are out in the uh, in the papaya fan base. Well, I will be honest. Looking at what the two teams are saying, I understand why they feel that way. McLaren isn't making huge substantive changes to their entire concept. Mercedes is. So if, if you were going to ask me, I would say something like, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see McLaren ahead up to the summer break. But we all know how good Mercedes is at developing. If their fundamental concept is sound, they will catch up at an alarming rate of speed. So by the end of the season, maybe they're even. But if you got to pick one, yeah, no, McLaren right now looks to be uh, in, in the catbird seat, we used to call it. If you look at everything on the table, McLaren, for a lot of the second half of last season, had the second fastest car. If they can actually start a season well, which they have not done in the last three or four years or so, even last year, they had a Q1 eliminating car and then ended the season with the second fastest car. So if they can just start on that kind of that, that ground that they ended last season with, then... I don't see any reason why they wouldn't, you know, be the ones to to challenge Red Bull initially in the early stages of the season. But of course, you know, Ferrari have done a lot of work on their car. Of course, Mercedes have done a lot of work on their car as well. So it it is a little bit of a lottery. But yeah, the the idea that they've got P2 in the Constructors' Championship sealed, yeah, that's a fanciful theory because we've got no clue what's going to happen over the course of the next uh, 11 months. Um, But I could totally see McLaren being the ones to challenge early on. Yeah, I got to agree with uh, with you there, Chris. It, it of course feels a bit rich um claiming uh, oh, we got we got second in the back. Of course it's it's probably not going to be like that, but given recent history and if you look at at, at the present rather than, you know, the, the the modern history, McLaren are are the most likely to bring it to to Red Bull. Um, Mercedes have been you know, struggling with their with their car for for the past two years, and they couldn't like really really make big steps with it. And if they made a big step, then two races later, it was a it was a step back again. Well, if you look at what McLaren managed to do within uh, uh, within the season last year, I mean, their car in in the first couple of races, it was it it was to put it polite, it was a third of a car, and. <laughs> okay. um, and, and and I'm not pronouncing third as most Dutch people when they try to say third. Yes, it's not I'm, one third of a car. No, no, I really mean like a third, like yeah, this you're, you're, little. You're saying it on purpose and repeatedly. Yeah, exactly. So, so I mean, I, I mean, and even if Ferrari have a good car, we all know that when Ferrari have a good car, they still have an operational side that drops the ball rather sooner than later so yeah i uh, i can see uh, i can see it really happening for mclaren of course it's it's rather ridiculous if you zoom out a little bit that we're having this discussion mm. only because they presented a a, a, a computer image of their uh, supposed livery <laughs> and all of a sudden we're, yeah they're gonna be second this year got but, it in the bag you know. got it in the bag i so it's left to me chris to be the voice of reason but why don't you continue to be wrong for a little bit first and then i'll come back and and, and be correct well, no, I was just going to say, I think it's hilarious that no one's involved Aston Martin in this conversation. <laughs> oh, we can, we can say, no, well, Aston Martin's our next talking point. So, yeah. um, I, you know, I, I do think Aston Martin can come out of the blocks 
uh, firing on all cylinders if they avoid maybe some of the pitfalls that, that uh, troubled them mid-season. But I, I really do think that this is a, a strange comparison. Like, I'm genuinely surprised that people are talking about McLaren versus Mercedes in a way. So, yes, the, the Venn diagram between where they could end up does overlap. Okay, so if it's a disastrous season for Mercedes, which it was last season, it was a disastrous season where they finished P2 in the Constructors' Championship and they had the highest non-Red Bull driver in, in the in the drivers championship as well. That's a disaster for Mercedes and that is, you know, an unprecedented doubling down of a failed concept for two seasons in a row. Yeah? McLaren punching out of their skin, doing amazingly well at their second stab, by the way, of the of the car at that regulation, at that they're at the top end of their Venn diagram. So those circles overlap a tiny bit. There's a very small area where Mercedes and McLaren might be competing. But if Mercedes do what Mercedes can do, they are clear of McLaren. Of course they are. They're aiming to beat Red Bull. McLaren are going, uh, d- what's the thing that they've been saying, Chris? Um, ever been underestimated? Yeah, Prepare to be surprised. Whatever it takes. That's their slogan. They're talking about all of that in the context of maybe finishing P2. But, uh, Spanners, yes. while I fundamentally agree agree to an extent with that premise you're forgetting that mclaren didn't turn up in 2023 until austria until that, you know and third what, silverstone the yeah season. okay that's great and why does that keep counting in their favor that's that that's a bad thing they, because they didn't have that car of the proper you know the the car that they should have had for the whole season they didn't have that until a third of the way yeah. through the season if you're talking about the performance they had Austria onwards throughout an entire season, then we might be looking at a different story. Well, I I don't want to be the one to say that it's going to be one thing or the other, but I think if Mercedes get ahead of or stay even with McLaren at the start of the season, either one, they've completely nailed it in a way that almost never happens in Formula One when you make this big of a switch. Or it's simply going to be down to Russell wow. being a more consistent driver than Piastri. Oh, okay. Because when you're. I'm happy to okay. reframe that. I'm happy to reframe that as Norris versus Hamilton then. Completely happy. I'm happy to reframe the whole McLaren versus Mercedes as Norris versus Hamilton. Would you accept my terms? Yeah, because it's about the car at cool. that point. Happy with that. I'm happy with that. And I'm surprised to hear you say that because I think, yeah, if. So what you're saying is Mercedes are, if they get everything right, they might match McLaren. Whereas yeah, I'm saying, if they're they, making. Whereas I'm saying, if they get everything right, they're fighting Red Bull. That's it's, it's amazing how and I, time will tell who's correct. I'm just amazed how different we are on that, which is great. It's great to be on a panel with two people, one being fundamentally correct and one being wildly wrong. is 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 great content. I do I do enjoy it. It is true, but I am looking at the cars. I'm looking at where they cars are and i'm looking at the changes the teams have to make mercedes is making a much bigger huger change if they're right about everything they're still like two and a half years behind in development that they're that. trying to make up on red bull no because you're, because no, you're, you're, it's just <laughs> evolution you're acting way. as if they're equal teams in, in like mercedes fundamentally a much better f1 team than mclaren but it's irrelevant when you're that far behind 
That's but, what I'm trying I, to I, say. I just, Jules, I, oh, somebody, somebody explain this to me. I don't understand. I just don't understand the argument that Mercedes are two and a half years behind. Was, was Mercedes oh. a better Formula One team than McLaren in the early 2010s? What's, why are we going back 12 years? I just don't understand why why we're so certain the fact that Mercedes is a better F1 because things change very very slowly. Okay, this is actually this is great. This is one of the major points I have when arguing with people, and one of the things that came up with Aston Martin's surge is that uh, the team order moves very very slowly in modern F1. So what we're talking about is would be the greatest mid-season performance for for McLaren to suddenly be out and out. The, the second best team over a season, that would be incredible. And people are just talking about it super casually. Like, it's like, yeah, yeah, it's theirs to lose. I said I didn't want to rehash last week's argument, and here I am. <laughs> not theirs to lose. I'm that's not what saying people, That's what people are saying. Yeah, I know, but yeah, McLaren fans are saying that. Of course they're going to say That's what I'm saying. That. That's my point. Two, you know, two people actually know what they're talking about here. Sorry, that was a bit harsh. Yeah, I know. That was a bit, that was gatekeeping. That was. Uh, hello to all our McLaren fans. Like <laughs> all right. Matt? Well, I just want to finish up with saying the technical task for Mercedes is magnitudes larger than it is for McLaren based on what Stella and Allison are saying, respectively, in the press. So if you want to go with who's most likely to have a competitive car with Red Bull at the beginning of the season, you'd have to say McLaren based on what they're saying right now. Doesn't mean we'll see that at testing, as we all know, but based on the preliminaries, Based on the quotes, McLaren are more or less saying we expect to continue kind of where we were and maybe make up a little ground depending upon what Red Bull did. Mercedes have said, we think we figured out our problem at last and we think we have a solution to it and we'll see when we put it on a track whether or not we're right. And so, you know, I, I think it's reasonable to tip McLaren at the beginning of the season as being more competitive than Mercedes, who have a lot of catching up to do, even if they're completely right. I love it. I love it when there's some disagreement in the ranks and and playing, you know, pundit and playing you are the referee and whose fault is it and guessing where people are going to be is genuinely one of my favorite, favorite parts of, of Formula One. Can we take the logic that we have learned over seasons and apply that to future things? Will people put their money where their mouth is? Should me and Matt come up with some kind of interesting bet? If McLaren don't beat Mercedes next season... I'm the host of Tech Time forever. No, I need to think about that. No, no, I don't want it. I don't want to win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be cheering for McLaren in the end. Okay, great. Well, look, listen, guys, it's the winter off season. We do have a topic left, but I just want to divert slightly to say thank you so much to our patrons. We have had a bit of a first in our Patreon support. I would say we are fundamentally a Patreon-supported podcast, patreon.com forward slash Apex. This is the first winter where our Patreon support hasn't gone down. So naturally, over the winter, people tend to go, oh, there's no F1. I'll stop being a patron and, and maybe I'll, I'll start again uh, in, um, in, the, in the new season. But uh, we have increased uh, very slightly our patron uh, total that we get from our patrons um, over the winter, which hopefully is a testament to the fact that you know, we're still providing some kind of uh, reasonable content and we still have a reasonable community around us, even when there's, there's no racing. So thank you so much to people who have stuck with us over winter it makes a massive difference and also thank you to the people who've used our tip jar we always put a link to the tip jar 
in the in the show notes below. And uh, we've had some incredibly generous donations over the winter. And all of those tip jar donations go to our war chest for advertising and promo. So all the other big podcasts get to do promo and advertising. So uh, the Race Media uh, stack with Matt and Tommy, uh, all those guys have budgets that they can go out and promote. The, all we have to spend on advertising is what people put in our tip jar. And at the moment, I, I have an arsenal of 550 UK pounds, which will be my biggest advertising budget ever. And I know exactly where I'm going to put it. Shh, it's a secret. We have a secret weapon. Uh, but if you want to contribute to Mr. Apex in any way, thank you so much. Please consider looking in the, the show notes for ways to do so. And because of you, uh, we are able to kind of democratize the F1 podcast space a little bit and have it not all just be big corporations in the iTunes charts. Also, some exciting things. If you're into Formula E, we have a, a great podcast led by uh, Christina Lee Mace and Chris Stevens, who have been doing a great job on the new Formula E podcast feed. I love the dynamic between you and Christina Lee Mace. The new show that came out on Friday was fantastic, Chris. And, I, and I'm really looking forward to uh, the race review on Saturday, which might be the two of you again. Yeah, absolutely. I think the important thing with me and Christina is um, we actually get along, whereas you and I... No, have- hatred pure filth yeah eight years i mean if if Uh, we spent more time together i would have murdered you by now but yeah no you and christina just just share a genuine passion for that sport as well um you're both young up-and-coming people with with great futures um it's a snappier show i love the dynamic um so i hope that that continues this season and jules you are heavily involved with the Kyle Power-led MotoGP podcast as well, uh, which is, uh, you did five episodes, I think, last season, and uh, and you're, you're going to do one next week, I think. Yeah, we're looking to uh, launch again uh, for the for the coming season. Uh, I think next week, 1st February, so straight from ahead, with maybe even uh, our first uh, guest uh, from the inside of oh, the sport. Maybe. Yes, of course. So, uh, not, I'm not sure if I'm uh, giving any, anything away that no, I should. No, sure, but... we're fine. <laughs> no, but and it's been yeah. great because you've been heavily involved in that as well. And it's yeah. been really great to see Kyle leading a project too. So super excited yeah. about those Missed Apex projects. And let's talk about Aston Martin. All right. Jules, Aston Martin, are they going to do it again? Are they going to rise to the top? Are they going to shake up the Formula One grid? No. Good. Okay. Would you care to elaborate? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, I just felt like something about their 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 really great start last season was just a bit off, and and I I, I wanted to 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 feel like it like it was genuine and and that it that it was there to last, but it didn't. And it somehow made me feel like they they got some right, but they didn't have the the either the stomach or the or the financials or whatever to to really keep it up. And as as, as sad as it was, because all of the the Alonso fans and and you know Alonso being back in his what seemed his his prime was really good for the sport as well. It was. But it yeah. was just a shame how it kind of faded away, and and I and I can't see them doing that again with all the other top teams. Uh, looking to fight for that second place as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I hate to be boring on this topic, but 
the available evidence suggests, and this is notwithstanding the investment they've gotten, uh, the available evidence suggests that Aston really, once their toys got taken away by the FIA, which we don't absolutely know for sure, but, uh, you know, circumstantially speaking, it was a pretty strong case. Uh, once their toys got taken away, they were absolutely mid, just like Alpine. And this is in contrast to McLaren, which was on the other side of that directive, and then proceeded to move up the field. So maybe Aston had figured it all out, and they will be competitive. But I see that as much less likely than them showing up and being kind of like in their own little bubble, as they were uh, a lot of the end of last season. They were faster than the Alpines, but slower than the four teams ahead. And, and I, that's the most likely place for them to be this coming season. Chris? Yeah, I mean, I can only agree with that. Um, I know Fernando Alonso showed a little bit of promise for the team towards the end of uh, last season, particularly in Brazil. And if either of them are going to be fighting for top-end positions in 2024, it is going to be Fernando, let's be real. Um, so I think what we'll, what we'll maybe see is a, a, another season of that team not quite being able to meet its potential in terms of its position in the Constructors' Championship, similar to what we saw last year. Um, so I'd be really interested to see where Fernando ends up in relation to the Red Bulls and the Ferraris and the McLarens and the Mercedes, because that's already a uh, a really competitive field. So if we're talking about you know the top five teams in Formula One, one of them's got to finish ninth and tenth in a race, right? Uh, and and you know at some point Alpine are gonna nail it on a specific weekend and disrupt that order um, or one of the other midfield teams. So. It, it, it suddenly gets harder to measure that success of of saying we're a front running team, but we finished eighth. Yeah, it's, yeah. Last season just felt like it was sort of lightning in a bottle a little bit, didn't it? That that perfect start to the season, uh, other teams having dropped the ball fundamentally, uh, Ferrari stopping developing after testing one to concentrate on the twenty twenty six car. Uh, it just seems unlikely that they're going to sort of razzle dazzle, but they. They've set that expectation now, Matt. That that is the problem. So there's a lot of like Fernando Alonso fans, and Fernando Alonso himself. I don't think will settle for they get to the Spanish Grand Prix and they've been you know dancing around the bottom end of the points for for the start of the season. He's going to start kicking off. I, I can't see him going through another McLaren phase. He already did McLaren Honda. He's he's not going to stick at it again. Uh, yeah, I, I would say McLaren Honda was an order of magnitude worse than anything he's ever going to get with Aston, um, just for a lot of very bad confluence of reasons we don't have to get into right now. But the curiosity is, as he finishes maybe at best fifth in every second or third race and seventh or eighth in most of the others, this is always the thing with Alonso. This is just like, how long is that fuse really? before it goes off and and we know if aston cannot deliver on their promises sooner or later he's going to start letting them know that and that's i mean you know we all wait for that moment with the popcorn don't we yeah and i do want to want to give this one to to s martin they have been recruiting uh, personnel pretty aggressively in recent seasons already from from the other top teams mainly red bull and then i think two weeks ago it was when they they hired this supposed 
pit stop genius from from Red Bull Racing as well, and now getting uh, getting extra cash from outside the the wallets of um, uh, Stroll, Stroll himself. Yeah, you know that that at least suggests that they are not you know uh, thinking ah we tried last season and in the end it didn't work out so oh, whatever they are still really really trying to build something here. so so that that's a positive sign at least I think now. Only another really, really great driver next to Alonso, and you know, could could really happen for him. Well, the other interesting thing here is: Do you think, with this new infusion of cash from Arctos, do we think that Stroll is maybe beginning to look for the exit on this project? Quiet quitting. That that was my first instinct when I heard about that, Matt. You go, all right. Well, why is someone who has has come in, taken complete control of it? Uh, been very dominating, you know, very authoritative with his big face. He's got such a big face. Can't get over how big and authoritative his face is. Just a huge... Hasn't he got a big face? Just the kind of face that leads people. But to then relinquish a little bit of that control makes you go, oh, okay, is this the beginning of the end? Because, yeah, Lance Stroll did not look in a good way. He didn't look like he had, you know, uh, potential future world champion written all over him or would mike crack indeed say that the sale of some of aston martin in fact proves how committed lawrence stroll is to aston martin chris you looked most cynically at me and smart you did kind of like a wry lip rise thing yeah i got the reference ah yes from the joke i did okay good well i wouldn't be surprised if that that is the the first sign of of going out because i don't believe that if lance stroll is uh, leaves and quits F1, Lawrence Stroll might nominally be in charge for a little while, but he's not going to be on the edge of his seat week in, week out. He's not going to be at the bottom of podiums. You know, Jules, am I, am I being unfair? I think he quite quits once Lance is out. Yeah, no, I'm, and, and I was just thinking, what would be a more kind way uh, to Lance uh, to, to, to end this? Is it for for uh, for Big Papa Stroll to stay on as long uh, to leave uh, to leave the team no choice but to say goodbye to Lance, and that would would be really painful. Or would the nice scenario be, oh, uh, Lawrence quits the team, he sells it or whatever, and because of that, Lance follows him to the exit door. Um, I think it will be less painful, the second scenario. So maybe this is the first step towards it. Because obviously, of course, Lawrence knows he can't go on like this for another five years with his son in that seat because it it doesn't make any sense. What if the Stroll male gene makes your face get bigger over time? So Lance Stroll has a normal size head now, but they know that it won't fit into a race helmet as he adopts his father's big Titan Goliath face. I think the news headline will be Lance Stroll leaves F1 for error reasons. That's the one. Chris Stevens. They should put him on the hypercar program or Le Mans because that's what Aston Martin has got in the works for 2025. That's his last year in F1 now. You know, on, on a season where he's unquestionably cost the team a position in the, in the World Constructors Championship. So do another year of F1 with him. Hypercar project comes around, stick him in that, and he can very easily go and win Le Mans. From Alonso's point of view, he now knows without a doubt, Matt, that he is much, much better than 
uh, Lance Stroll, the the potential that he showed against uh, Verstappen is not a, against Vettel. Sorry, is is not a worry for him. I, I think here he can now go on a like he did with Kimi Raikkonen. Once he knows he's got the upper hand, I think his PR is going to change a lot. I think it's going to be less. Oh, I've been looking out for Lance. I saw that he he lost his rear end. I was looking at the big screen and my heart was all a flutter. Please tell me, tell me that my little Lance is okay. That will change to highlighting the here's my first prediction for 2024 then you will see fernando alonso highlighting the difference in performance between him and lance stroll but he can't help but do that because you know he's a better driver what i would say about this whole quiet quitting thing i think you're probably right but but lawrence is is a clever 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 business person and no one in their right mind, is going to let go of this team until they get to 2026 and screw a Honda power unit into the back of it because anything could happen when the regulations change. That is a good so point. So this is like he's greasing the wheels. He's laying, his, you know, he, he's getting ready to head for the exits, but I don't think he's quite ready to get up out of that seat just yet because 26 is pretty close. And it's a real opportunity if they get it right and everybody else gets it wrong with the power unit. Fernando will not be racing that 2020. He's so old. You don't think so? Oh, he totally will. Quite confident in saying that. I think I think in 2025, we're very likely to lose both Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso. And and there's an outside shot of Max Verstappen saying, Oh, I'm kind of bored of winning all the F1 titles now, I want to go and do Le Mans or something like that. You know. Really? That's when there are so many big Where do these young people get these ideas from? Okay, here's what I'll... You're absolutely right, Chris. So Fernando Alonso is 42 years old. Okay, I'm 43. I'm not saying that I'm as fit as Fernando Alonso, but I thought I had a really good fitness day the other day. I went swimming, did a workout, went for a jog with my son. Uh, I have spent a lot of today on the ground like a fair bit of today just on the ground. Yet the body, there's a cumulative wear on the body. It just cannot go forever. So we're talking about Fernando Alonso still being competitive at 45. I just, I can't see that or see any good reason why a 45-year-old would want to do that. You know, move on with your life. It's time to get the acrylics out, start your watercolours. Secondly, um, there's an interesting thing about Max Verstappen is, and it nearly came up when we were comparing him to Sebastian Vettel's career with Dan last week, which is I cannot see Verstappen going through a a McLaren Honda phase, for example. You know, he's on this run now. He could win four titles. He could win five titles. If they come out of the regulation set and they're they're solidly, you know, a bit Ferrari-ish about things, I think Verstappen, and I would not object to that, might go, this isn't really the place for me. Do I want to hang around for that next regulation set to change. Lewis Hamilton had to wait between 2018 and 2014. I don't think Verstappen will spend six years of his life doing that. He's got other interests. He's got other things he wants to do. 2008 and and 2000. What did I say? 2018. Oh, okay, 2008. Okay, everyone knows. First world title in 2018. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, I I don't see Verstappen having that same kind of, oh yeah, I'll graft in the midfield again. Because to be fair, he already did that midfield graft and that rise up to the top, I think it's reasonable to then after 10 years go, yeah, no, the five titles. Yeah. Um, you know, that'll do. So yeah, you're right. In 2026, we could have a, a very different, who's going to be, who's going to win the 2026 championship then, Chris? 
Oh, Lando Norris. Not Antonelli. Oh. No, he won't be. No. No, not really. Oh, oh, <laughs> you, oh you put me on this. Do you know what? It entirely depends. It entirely depends if they're going to bother sticking him in a Williams for a year. If you don't know who Kimi Antonelli is, uh, he's going to be a rookie in F2 this year. Probably one of the most hotly anticipated young drivers currently in the junior formula uh, right now. Mercedes uh, junior as well. And um, if he's if he wins the F2 title this year, then Mercedes has got a problem because he's not allowed to stay in F2. So they'll either stick him on the sidelines in Mercedes for a year and then put him in the car in 26, or maybe they'll do a year with him in the in the Williams. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. Well, I tell you what, we'll do that when we get bored, more bored towards the <laughs> the off season. We'll predict the entire 2026 season, Chris. That's what we'll do. Round three, we'll do that. 31 days to testing. Yeah, it's nearly upon us, actually, which is why I want to make sure we get through all of our Meet the Panel segments. So, Jules Sagers, hello. The show is effectively over from a news point of view, but I yeah. I love all of these people that are on the panel. And every week when we've done uh-huh. a Meet the Panel, I have got like in, like excited. So when we started off with Catman and Chris, uh, with the, the now infamous bird story in chris's house the bird in chris's house like i was oh these are you know chris is one of the longest serving mr apex people so's uh chris catman turner as well and then when we had uh alex on i was oh oh brilliant every single week you go oh no these are actually my my favorite people um but but uh jules you very much fall into the chris catman turner category in that you're a grown-up as well uh, a little older than me and a proper dad and everything yeah, yeah, I am. I am. Well, at, at least I try very hard to be proper dad. Yeah, <laughs> it's um, it's it's hard. You're in the same zone as me, so you've got little ones same age as me. Uh, uh, yeah, before teens, preteens, eleven and thirteen. Yeah, eleven and th- oh, exactly the same as me. So yeah. there's uh, there's upsides to that because they they can poop by themselves at that age. They're, they you can you can walk out of the door and they won't just die from lack of you giving them crisps. So you and I are in that in same boat where we're just starting to get a little bit of independence back, yeah. but it's still enough that, you know, you struggle to commit to doing a, a huge amount of shows. Yeah, uh, surely. And, uh, well, not not only because of that, but, uh, yeah, indeed. I mean, they, they, they are self-supportive in some ways, and in other ways they can do without me still. And secretly, I, I love that. So uh, I'm, I'm cherishing those uh, those uh, years that that, that I uh, that I have that from them. Well, whenever they go like, Dad, uh, how, <laughs> how how I got this thing stuck in the blinds, please help me. Or as I got the other day, uh, Dad, I did this thing to this roll of cling film, do you, do you, cellophane, I think you call it in the Americas, yeah. and it was the most warped wrapped bit of cellophane you've ever seen and it legitimately took us 20 minutes to unpick it and, and unroll yeah. it uh but yes but just you're, you're i don't like to think about people when they're not doing missed apex things but you have a proper life and a, a proper yep. job you're a full-up grown-up uh, university lecturer in is it in journalism yeah yeah so and 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 to be to be precise um i think in in england uh you you'd call it uni in Holland, we have a, a difference between uh, universities, which is the, the the scientific level, and then the um, um, how do you say this? Uh, 
uh, like a degree level. So I think what you're saying is that yeah. you're not like a professor for a PhD. So you're not providing a doctorate, no. but you are getting them no. at degree level. So, you know, yeah, you, 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 you're a university lecturer. So you're, you're like forming young minds in journalism. And is that rewarding? Because generally I find 18 year olds to be awful. Uh, funnily, funnily enough, uh, it, 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 it mostly is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting age. We, uh, uh, students that we get, they, when they come in, they are sometimes 17, 18 years old, really, really rarely they are still 16 even. And then when they leave, when they graduate and they are bachelors, they are these young adults, you know, so that, that, uh, phase of life. That's, see that. It's really interesting to to be uh, witnessing that and to be hopefully a small part of their, you know, coming of age. And, and journalists, journalists sort of form world opinions. So uh, my daughter's really, really hot on English. And um, I don't want to like plan her life out for her or anything. But I've said to her, she should she should be a journalist and then prime minister. Um, but like <laughs> a lot of, you know, politicians come from that journalism world in the UK. I don't know if it's the same in the Netherlands. But these are really the people who shape opinion, shape conversation. And in a way, they're kind of they're there are kind of gang leaders when it comes to what we should all be thinking. Um, I think I think we used to be. Uh, and and I notice now myself that I still speak in, in the we form as if I'm still a, a part of the journalism guild. But um, the generation that we. Uh, see starting uh, their uh, their uh, uni life, they tend to be more influenced and be more um, uh, opinionated by um, uh, not journalism journalists themselves, but um, people on YouTube, people on on social media. So they are more. Um, That's scary. They, yeah, they 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 uh, meet and consume less and less quality journalism mm. because the devices they're on. Uh, um, True, most, but I think yeah. we're closer to our next ex-journalist prime minister than we are to our next ex-TikTok prime minister. So I, I still think, like from a networking point of view, journalists are still in that kind of elite. Um, so we've got a couple of questions here from our live patrons, uh, Weitzer, who is our our token Dutch patron. I know we have lots of Dutch <laughs> patrons. So he's asking, we did talk about this pre-show, but he's asking, um, which driver do your children support? Um, well, of course, Mark Verstappen. And, um, uh, How could you, you let know, that happen? Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I want him to make, uh, my, my, my son, I want to let him make his own decisions. He already supports the, the football team that I support. So, you know, I'm, I'll let him have this one. But and that is... As, as, I only know one Dutch team. Oh, no, I know two, Fionnord and Ajax. Yeah, and those are the wrong ones. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, I'm from the south of the Netherlands, and uh, it's a region where you mostly see uh, supporters of uh, PSV Eindhoven. So. Ah, I see. So that's where you've got sucked into. So two more, two more things I, I know about you. One is a, a horrible stereotype, uh, and one is because I've asked you about it, um, but... Uh, all Dutch people are into camping and caravanning and motorhoming. Are you a camper? I'm not a camper. No, no. I, sometimes I wish I was, but it hasn't grown on me ever. So no, not really a camper. The Netherlands have, have taught the world how to camp and how to roam. Is that, is that so? I That's what know. I'm told. Oh, okay. Uh, but the other stereotype you definitely conform to is it is a nation of cyclists. And I was yeah. alarmed the first time I went to Amsterdam. 
that cyclists are king. So, you know, yeah. cars have to come to a street, screeching halt, traffic lights specifically for bikes. But uh, Matt, you'll have something in common here with Jules. Uh, you are also a hobbyist cyclist as well. So when Matt calls himself Matt PT 55, you know what he's going on about. Indeed. 55 teeth on the big old chain ring. How into cycling are you, Jules? I'm into cycling well enough to know what Matt is talking about right now, and that that, that that's a huge huge chain ring to go to make uh, to pedal on. So yeah, yeah. He's, he's longer yeah. than you though. So don't you have to have big long limbs to be able to do that? It probably helps to mm. to have uh, to have long legs uh, to uh, to cycle with that chain ring. So, um, um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not only a cyclist because I'm I'm Dutch and it's our number one form of transport. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, you know uh, well maybe cars but who's counting um but yeah i'm uh, i'm uh, you can find me on a road bike mountain bike um yeah i really love that just to 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 uh, to go out and be you know escape the the city and uh, um we have a lot of um uh how do you say this uh trails and places you can go cycling yeah and and the, the the rural the rural country and it's just great to to cycle there and 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 be uh, be on your own for a bit, especially when you have a household uh, with young kids. So, so I must say, I'm I'm a bigger big of an uh, big enough of a nerd to uh, to have an indoor cycle cycling oh, no. trainer. Really, yep. Matt, you can't approve of that. That sounds horrendous. I only approve if they're rollers because you can fall off rollers. Hey, I uh, I can. Acknowledge nor uh, <laughs> or deny. I can confirm or deny this. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. I have to admit, I much prefer. I did do go through a phase, an early midlife crisis of road cycling, and I much prefer going off road just because you're not at the mercy of of traffic. So I think me and Matt, if we go out and go right, we're going to go to somewhere half an hour away. We're risking our lives on the roads. Whereas in uh, Holland, it's um, it's much more set up for that. Yeah. 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 And you know what I also do in my spare time? I don't know if anybody's still listening. I coach my son's football team. Oh, soccer. So that's, uh, yeah, it's two evenings. And of course, a Saturday are, are the matches. And, and I, I, I get invested into that a, a lot more than I should probably. <laughs> so we've got a local playing field, like literally just outside the door here. And on a Sunday morning, you really hear the dads going for it. Like, oh, get in there. What are you doing, Derek? Ah, oh, we've talked about this, you idiot. And you put your head out the window and it's seven-year-olds. And you go, whoa, leave them alone. <laughs> are you like that, Jules? Are you a shouty dad? No, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty responsible. And as one of three coaches of the team, I, of course, I, I need to, to be a bit of a role model. So it's, it's not like that. But uh, the um, the passion uh, to to win those games as if I was playing my own uh, oh, it's, it's bigger than I sometimes dear, dear, so want to admit. Yeah. Final final question: uh, Have you ever been to Chris's house to uh, uh, rescue a bird from inside his airing cupboard? If they they had called me, I would, you would have, have taken come the, straight across yeah. the channel. Excellent, yeah. Jules Sagers at Jules Sagers F one on Twitter on X. Without the F1. Oh, without. So just just at Jules Sagers. The show notes always have links to all our panels. So thank you very much to Matt. Two rumpets at MattPT55. Chris, who's at Chris on on Racing. At Chris on Racing. Yeah, there you go. I like that handle. That's better than what you used to have, which was at Chris underscore at Chris F1 underscore I love life or something like that. Uh, Yeah. But you've changed it now. Uh, Stevens underscore. 
And follow me, of course, at Spanners Ready and the show at Missed Apex F1. Please consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. Don't worry, it's only 30 days till testing and I'm sure all the winter silliness will abide. But for now, uh, we are definitely talking after hours. It's off school. It's the night shift as we go into more off-season content. I hope you'll join us for it. Until then, work hard, be kind and have fun. This was Missed Apex Podcast. Man, no, I've got to interrupt. Because you just, you shared with me personal information and now I want to tell everyone. Okay, fine. You just said that one of your students' parents listens to Miss Apex's podcast and accused you of having a British accent, which is hilarious because I genuinely think we've ruined you. Like you even say, you say, (laughs) you say maths instead of math and everything. I I argued back that that I use British words, but I do not have a British accent on this show. I think you might have too much time because you can never tell. When you move to a town, you think, oh, I've kept my accent. Then you go back home and everybody like gives you gives you grief. So I I went home with my uh, uh, well, I was I was his best man, my mate John. He was from uh, somewhere somewhere in Scotland. It's all the same. And, uh, And he went home and his dad was going mad at him. Why are you speaking English at me? Don't you talk English to me? And I could see him like be like, oh, no, sorry, Dad. Oh, no, oh, let me get me a claymore. And he got this big six-foot sword out. We spent time drinking whiskey and swinging a claymore sword about. And he was, like, forgiven. And I couldn't, I couldn't understand him by the end of the night. And then, you know, we head back down south, and he talks all proper again. Yeah, well, it, it, is, a, it is a problem when you hang out too much and <laughs> uh, you start to pick up on the local accent a bit. But I don't think I've lost my American accent just yet no one's going to argue okay fine i agree with matt matt doesn't sound british at all thank you i sound more dutch than british right jules very very much even jules doesn't sound really dutch enough to me there's no where's the stereotypes (laughs) where's the where's the the dutch speaking english don't sound like a a gold member from gold member from austin Austin powers Powers. yeah it's really disappointing Where's yeah. my smoke and a sausage? Where's that? <laughs> <laughs>